From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. And this week, we're going cross-country skiing. You're listening, you're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Terra Before we start our episode, we would like to acknowledge that we are situated on Treaty 6, the historic and present territory of Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, Dene, and many other First Peoples that live and gather here. This week, we are talking about going out onto the land and enjoying the beautiful winter. It's important to recognize and consider how the crown lands we enjoy skiing on were dispossessed from Indigenous peoples during the colonization of this area. Indigenous peoples are often criminalized and persecuted for executing their treaty rights in so-called Canada. We are seeing this in Wet'suwet'en territory, in Treaty 6 with the Beaver Lake Cree Nation, and across Turtle Island. We encourage the settlers listening to think about the tangible ways in which you can give land back to Indigenous peoples and support their fight for sovereignty and treaty rights. Hi, I'm your host, Charlotte Thomason, and I am here to take you on an audio trip into the world of cross-country skiing. Madeline, are you excited? To ski? To ski. Madeline loves to ski. (laughs) Are you excited to ski? I am excited to ski. Today we're at Gold Bar Park, which I've never been to, but it has a lot of hype, so. Also they make snow, so I feel like conditions should be good. They do make snow, Madeline is right. Okay, so I'll be honest, I've been trying to make this episode since November of 2020, but this winter in Edmonton has been a roller coaster of a ski season. At first, we had a big dump of snow back in November, and I thought, yes, let's get out there. Let's make this episode. Then, unseasonably warm weather melted all of the snow, and the conditions got bad. I'm talking icy. I'm talking patchy. Now, it's February 2021, and we have snow again. It came with a polar vortex and a minus 30 freeze for the last two weeks. All that being said, I was able to get out a little bit this winter and make this piece for you all. While you listen, if the ski bug bites you, don't worry. It's not too late to get out this season and start skiing if you haven't yet. Here we go. Okay, we've arrived. Getting our skis out of the trunk. (laughs) Do you really want to say it like that? I'm gonna, well. We've arrived, we're getting our skis out of the trunk, and our boots and our poles, the three essential items for cross-country skiing. Right, Chris? Yeah. (laughs) To get this episode started, we are going back, way back, to the very beginning. Cross-country skiing was introduced to Canada in the 1890s. 
but it originated over 8,000 years ago in Scandinavia. The first records of cross-country skiing include pictures and artifacts from the Sami peoples, an indigenous group whose territory covers parts of what is now Russia, Norway, Sweden, and Finland. Early cross-country skis were used as a means of utilitarian transportation, and they were big, over 80 millimeters wide and 2.5 to 4 meters long, with just a single ski pole and weighing several kilograms. These skis were also two different sizes. One long ski was used as a glider, while the shorter ski and pole were used as a push. Compared to today's designs and technique, these early skis were heavy and awkward. For the recreational set, ski life got better in 1915, thanks to Thorleaf Hogg. He invented a screw plate that allowed for stronger, narrower, and lighter ski design. In the 1930s, the tow rope and chairlift were introduced, and in 1967, the first Canadian ski marathon was held. Today, the CSM is the oldest and longest Nordic ski tour in Canada, covering 160 kilometers from La Chute, Quebec, to the capital region in Hull or Ottawa. But it wasn't until the 1970s that cross-country skiing really picked up. Maybe it was the crowded alpine hills, the lighter and more accessible equipment, or maybe the bold and fluorescent snowsuit designs. For whatever reason, recreational cross-country skiing became a Canadian staple that has yet to go out of style. I'm sure now you're thinking, wow, oh my God, skiing sounds like so much fun. I wanna ski, but where do I even get started? Don't worry, dear listener, I will be your guide. First thing you need, equipment. Cross-country skiing has a few key pieces of specialized equipment that you cannot do without. You have your boots. Put the boots on, let's do them up. Which have one or two metal bars on the bottom, right by the toe. And that's what clips in to the ski. This leaves the heel of the boot to rise and fall as you're moving. Okay, so how you get the skis on is, for my skis, they have a little clip. And there's a metal bar on my boots. I'm gonna put the metal bar in the hole and I just close it, just like that. For sizing of boots, you want them to be able to fit some thick socks, but Make sure your heel isn't slipping at all when you lift, because that will lead you straight to blister town. You also need poles, which are basically like long sticks with a little basket at the bottom to prevent the pole from going all the way into the snow. The poles should be tall enough so that your arm is bent at a 45 degree angle when you're holding the pole upright. Of course, to ski, you need, well, skis. These bad boys are tall and skinny and have essentially two parts, the grip zone and the glide zone. The grip zone is the middle section directly underneath where the boots clip in. And if you were looking at a pair of skis that were laying flat on the snow, you would see that this section arcs upward and doesn't actually touch the snow. When you move your weight from ski to ski, that curved section, which is called the camber, flexes, bending down to touch the snow which gives you the friction and grip 
push off and glide. Since all of your weight is on one ski and the other ski has no weight, the camber on that ski stays off the ground and the ski can glide. This is called the Nordic technique. You can also skate ski, where you push off side to side, kind of like skating. Technically, this is a type of cross-country skiing, but that's not how we're getting around today. The length of your skis is calculated based on your weight. So head to a local ski shop to figure out what size of poles and what size of boots and what size of skis you need. Okay, let's talk about clothing. So here we are, we're ready. Dressing appropriately for winter weather is so, so important. Doing up our You want layers, but the amount is obviously going to vary depending on the weather. Colder weather, more layers. Skiing, very fun. And it's also a bit of a workout, so you're probably going to heat up. I like starting off so that I'm a little bit chilly, and if I'm skiing hard and heating up, I can take off layers, and if I stop to feed chickadees or maybe have a snack, I can throw on a warmer jacket. I also usually wear a big pair of warm mitts and pack a small set of gloves just in case my hands start heating up. You don't need expensive or fancy clothes for skiing. Just stuff that will keep you warm and that you can stretch and be comfortable in. Don't forget to top it all off with a headband, earmuffs, or a toque. Are you wearing two toques? No. It's wearing a little headband. All right, let's go skiing. These are bohemian wax wings. They are all crowded around this mountain ash tree because they like eating the berries off of it. They make a nice trilling noise. maybe 15 or 20. Oh, wow, I just looked at a tree to my left and there must be at least 20 in there just sitting in the branches. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Terra Informa. I'm Charlotte Thomason, and today we are talking all about cross-country skiing. Now, here is Elizabeth Dowdell with a little tidbit about an old and cold ski race. Prince Hokan, Ole's two-bit tour? 
the long loop, and a Viking feast? If these terms are familiar to you, you must be one of the thousands who come to Edmonton annually for the Canadian Birkebeiner. The Berkey, as it's more casually known, is a tri-country tradition with a rich history. Legend has it that during the Norwegian Civil War in the year 1206, infant prince Håkon Håkonsson, heir to the throne, was in danger and hiding near the town of Lillehammer. Two brave warriors rescued the child and transported him 55 kilometers over two mountain ranges to safety in the town of Rina. The warriors were known as Birkebeiners or Birchbark Leggers. For the Birchbark Gators, they wore from knee to ankle to keep the snow out and protect them during battle. Every year in Norway, the Birkebeiner Rennet ski race is held. Race participants ski 55 kilometers through mountains and valleys with a 5.5 kilogram pack on their back to represent the child that was carried from Lillehammer to Rena. As birchbark gators have gone out of vogue, the word Birkebeiner has become synonymous with someone who is strong in the face of adversity and undaunted by trial and hardship. This test of physical and mental endurance came to Canada in 1985 with the first Canadian Birkebeiner. 127 participants braved cold conditions to complete that race, and since then thousands have joined them to remember the legend. For the past 35 years, a dedicated crew of organizers and volunteers have groomed trails, found sponsors, built structures, and grappled with fluctuating weather and snowfall to keep the Berkey legend alive. The Canadian Berkey is known as one of the friendliest Nordic ski festivals, and usually takes place the second weekend of February across the Blackfoot Cooking Lake Recreation Area. This year, due to COVID-19 restrictions and safety concerns, the Berkey is doing things a whole new way. The classic in-person Berkey took place this past weekend, while a 17-day virtual Canadian Berkey runs from February 12th to 28th. Registration for this race is open until Friday, February 19th, and participants can enter from anywhere in the world. With special discounted rates and categories for four, eight, 13, 31, and 55 kilometer events, you can ski, cycle, run, or walk at your own pace in your own place. Visit the Canadian Berkey website to register yourself and live the legend. Thanks, Liz. We've got our equipment and now we are ready to hit the trails. Did you know there are over 30 kilometers of cross-country ski trails within the city limits of Edmonton? There are also so many spots outside of the city and throughout Alberta where you can ski. Where I grew up in Hinton, Alberta, there is a beautiful Nordic center with trails and huts and views of the mountains, and you can rent skis for the day at a place called Vicious Cycle. If you like parkland views, the Vermilion Nordic Center rents skis for just $10 a day and has over 15 kilometers of prairie and river valley trails. You can even ski a loop from Vermilion to Lac La Biche. The West Bragg Creek trails in Kananaskis country have been developing since the 1970s and include over 66 kilometers of groomed ski trails. Originally managed by Alberta Parks, budget cutbacks have led to more and more volunteer efforts to keep these trail systems in peak condition. So what sets apart a cross-country ski trail from any other kind of trail? Well, often ski trails are groomed and tracked. Work might start in the summer with installation of culverts or drainage if the trails are used year-round. 
Trails are mown and brushed of young trees at the edges. Chainsaws are used to cut fallen timber. And snowmobiles are essential to both haul equipment and the specialized sleds used to create the tracks. Today, the Greater Bragg Creek Trails Association is a registered charity whose volunteers put in thousands of hours to track, manage, and maintain the trail system and have won awards for their outstanding work. Making and maintaining cross-country ski trails is some serious business. I want to tell all of you a little bit about why I, Charlotte, love skiing. Honestly, I grew up close to the mountains, so I did a lot of downhill skiing in my youth, and nothing beats the good old cross-country ski. It's leisurely, it's fun, it's inexpensive. You buy your equipment, and most places you go are honestly free, or $10 or 15 It's a super easy way to get out there, enjoy the beautiful land around us. In Edmonton, we are honestly so lucky. We are surrounded by this rich beauty. We have this huge river valley with all of this nature, but in the winter, I find a lot of my friends shutting themselves indoors and not wanting to go out. When I started cross-country skiing, it was such a game changer for me, dealing with the cold, dark, depressing winter. I was looking forward to snow, I was looking forward to cold temperatures, and made such a huge difference for me in how I experience our winters here in Edmonton. During COVID, when indoor gathering is unsafe and scary, cross-country skiing has been such a lovely way to be able to get out, get some exercise, and connect with people that I haven't seen in a while. You can ski and remain your safe distance of six feet and get to visit with your friends and family. It's just a really nice form of connection during a time when most of the connection we have is online through FaceTime or video chat or phone call. And as it turns out, a lot of our listeners and pals love skiing as well. Let's listen in to hear what they have to say. Hi, my name is Ashley Hillman and I'm a PhD student at the University of Alberta and I really like cross-country skiing because it's a really good way to explore our city in the winter and it can be a little bit less daunting I think than some of the other forms of skiing if you're sort of getting into it later in life um, but it's a really good way to stay active when it's snowy and cold outside. Hi, my name's Hunter Young and I like cross-country skiing because it's a great way to stay active in the winter. I also like the inexpensiveness of cross-country skiing compared to downhill skiing. My name is Kent. Uh, the reason I like to ski is because it's so quiet out there and the colder it gets, the uh, less people are out on the trails. And when it gets really cold, you can just ski harder and farther and get nice and warm. Hi, my name is Jenna. I like skiing because it's great exercise and I love hanging out with my friends and it's super nice getting fresh air and being outside. My name's Chris Koo, and cross-country skiing is actually how I grew to appreciate the winters in Edmonton. Uh, you know, most people are trapped inside avoiding the cold, but when you're out there skiing, you're gliding on the snow, you're breathing in the crisp air, and then you're connecting with nature. And I'm hoping that I'll be confident enough to explore outside this city, like maybe Jasper, Banff, for the Kananaskis. This year, I was gonna do the Berkey, for the first time. Uh, when I heard it was canceled, I was 
slightly relieved because then I would have another year to train for it. But I think I was mostly disappointed because I kind of feel like, you know, I've been taking lessons, I've been practicing on the trails, and it would have been a major milestone. Um, after I have a race under my belt, maybe I'd be not just a casual skier, but I'd be officially committed to the sport. So fingers crossed for next year. Hi, my name's Suzanne, and I like cross country skiing、um, because I like going down hills really fast, but sometimes I crash into trees, so I have to be careful. <laughs> Hold up! Wait a minute. Do you think cross-country skiing is the only low-impact, beginner-friendly, and low-cost way to get out in the winter? Move over with your skis, Charlotte, and make space for snowshoes. I have nothing against cross-country skiing. In fact, I've even done it before. I grew up in Edson, Alberta, which is just down the highway from Charlotte's hometown of Hinton, Alberta. We had lots of fields and forest trails in and around my hometown, so I went cross-country skiing every winter with my school. Maybe it's an Alberta thing, but just like the arbitrary rivalry between the Edmonton Oilers and Calgary Flames hockey teams, Hinton and Edson have been locked in a decades-long small-town rivalry to prove we are better and more excellent than our neighbors. My rural roots compel me to say that whatever Charlotte told you about cross-country skiing. Snowshoeing is better. First off, the gear is less complicated. Snowshoes are all you need, but poles can make it easier to maneuver on long hikes or across variable terrain. Add a backpack for essentials like snacks and water. Put on your winter clothes, and you're ready to hit the trails, or the fields, or wherever. Really, snowshoes can be used on any snow-covered terrain, making them more versatile than skis. Ten points for snowshoes. Basic snowshoes consist of an oversized frame with a lattice or net in the center. Your foot secures to the center while the frame is used to distribute your weight, so you can float along on top of the snow instead of sinking in. Beginner snowshoes can be worn with any type of sturdy boot. Honestly, I wore my squished-up fake UGGs the other day, and they were cozy and secure. Snowshoes strap on over the front of your foot, then they loop around your heel like a sports sandal or a pair of Crocs. Make sure your toes are snug at the front. Then set the toe and heel straps, and you're ready to move. Walking is really the only technique you need to master as a beginner snowshoer. If you want to get into really deep snow, there are some kick steps that can help. And using a duck step or a shelf step is the easiest way to get up a hill. Like cross-country skiing, snowshoeing was first practiced by indigenous peoples, originating in Asia around 6,000 years ago. Snowshoe technology was likely brought to North America across the Bering Strait land bridge, and the knowledge has been maintained and perfected by different nations to their local conditions over thousands of years. Some specialized snowshoe designs include the bear's paw, swallow, and beaver tail. Each is suitable for a different type of snow and terrain, and some are used for specific occasions or ceremonies. These wood and hide snowshoes are still made today and can be exquisitely detailed. These traditional snowshoes are made not so much for their utility, but as a demonstration of artistry and craftsmanship, refined and passed on through generations. Speaking of artistry, you can also make art with your snowshoes. In Schreiber, Ontario, local snowshoer Kim Armisen has been making large-scale snow art using his feet with Google Maps, some rope, 
a compass, and a few design skills. Armiston sketches, then walks across fresh fields of snow to create intricate geometric designs using snowshoes. Think crop circles, but in the snow and no alien conspiracy. The designs have made local and national headlines, and Armiston admits he was inspired by internationally recognized snow artist Simon Beck, who has uh, performed his art at multiple installations across Banff National Park. Armisen has been getting friends and local schools involved, and personally, I think more snort and more people making it is a good thing. Because listeners, it is just so beautiful to get outside in the winter season. Whether you choose to cross-country ski, snowshoe, or some other form of seasonal locomotion, I want you to fall in love with the soft pastels of sunset and sunrise, the glitter of sunlight on falling snow, and just the sharpness that makes winter literally magical. While bundled up in your soft, warm layers, take in the crisp sounds that you can hear around you. See the sharp outlines of bare branches. Taste the freshness of the air. And feel the edge of cold on your nose and cheeks. The winter season is alive and full of sensory experiences that make it worth getting out there whatever way you can. I'm going to leave you with a poem that captures the thrilling sights, sounds, and feelings of the winter season. This is Landing in Edmonton, December, by Adriana Onita. What a desolate landscape, says the passenger in 17A. It is already dusk. Red ochre solstice stretches over bright blue snow, 5,000 feet below. Wolf willow, wedgewood, white mud ravine. Go deep, balance on creek ice like a kid. Glisse. Praise the thickness of ice, the gurgle beneath. The boreal chickadee, tufa springs, tiny orchids, resting. Shed the words dreary and dismal from your vocabulary. Invent new words for the way light shimmers on fresh snow. How do you say snow sifts through spruce branches in your mother's tongue? Chanay Zapada. In winter, we reclaim lost languages. Continue to our river. Kisikechiwani Sipi. Apricot light warms the river valley. Paint with snow on goldenrod easels. Slow. Allow your fingers and thighs to numb, thaw, throb. Remember you have a body. Rest on the clay cliffs by the balsam poplars. Laissez ton corps. Feel the interminable joy of sky. Le ciel d'Alberta. The one we long for when we leave. A casa untranslatable. Why don't you stay the winter? Well, that's all the time we have for this week. I hope you're feeling inspired to get out and enjoy the winter season while it's still here. Cross-country skiing is better, but if you go snowshoeing, whatever. We just want you to get outside. I've been your host, Charlotte Thomason. Thank you for listening.
Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM, and all our content is created by a team of lovely volunteers. I would like to give a big shout out to Liz Dowdell for writing and researching and helping me with production on this episode, and also a huge thank you to Liam Harrop for getting audio for us, getting some ski audio for us, and thank you so much to everybody that sent in clips of why you love skiing. It really means so much to me. This episode was produced by me, Charlotte Thomason. And you can reach us for questions or comments via email, tara at cjsr.com, or message us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Terra Informa. If you want to check out any of our previous episodes or join our mailing list, you can check out our website, terrainforma.ca. And we'll catch you next week, right here on Terra Informa. Dun, 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 dun.